This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. We're continuing our series entitled Magnify Jesus. Now, last week we launched our brand new theme for the year, Bold as a Lion, and we'll have a teaching series on that a little bit later this year. But folks, we've got to get through the book of Philippians. We've been going through verse by verse through the book of Philippians, and I'm delighted to tell you that today we find ourselves in Philippians chapter number two. Isn't that progress? 12 months, we made it through one chapter. That's awesome. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm pumped. Now we're going to take a look at Philippians uh, chapter four. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter two, verses one through four today. Um, so, but here's the thing: while we get through four verses, we're actually going to spend two weeks in these four verses. So, uh, don't get too excited. I don't want to go too fast for you, okay? Uh, and so, um, but there's so much good stuff here. Uh, I can't make promises once we get past uh, uh, verse number four because verse number five gets into the really good part. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but took upon himself a form of a servant. Oh man, there's so much good stuff there. Uh, it's going to take us a while to unpack that, but uh, just strap in. It's going to be good. I promise you that, okay? And so if you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website or who we call an app. If you are so cool as to have the Who We Call It app on your phone this morning, you can actually click on the button that says podcast, click on today's message, click on fill in notes, and you can actually type your notes in in your browser, email it to yourself when you're done. It's totally awesome. If you haven't done it, you need to do it. Uh, so that's available to you as well. Whatever you do, whether you grab a sheet of paper and jot some thoughts down, just follow along today. There's so much good stuff in this passage that I want you to uh, get with me this morning. Philippians chapter two, we find ourselves uh, starting off in verse number one, by review. Uh, Paul pastored the church at Philippi, started it from scratch, uh, pastored it for a little while, moved on. Ten years later, he finds himself in prison, writes a letter back to them, just encouraging them to keep on uh, trucking. As we get through the book of Philippians, you'll see that there might have been a little bit of minor problems with a couple of people in the church, but nothing major. There's no uh, cause for rebuke in his letter that he has here, just a lot of encouragement. And so as he writes to them, he writes them encouraging. And today, I've entitled today's message, Strength in Unity, and he challenges them to have the same mind uh, in all things and to be for one another and taking care of each other We'll take a look at how important that is to the local church. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 1. There therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies. Fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. For some of you, who we call it might have been one of the only churches you've ever been a part of. If so, let me just tell you here, who we call it is the best church since the book of Acts. Uh, and I don't say that because I'm the pastor. I don't say that. Uh, and sometimes people say, well, don't you think that's a pretty biased statement? It might be biased, but it doesn't mean that I'm wrong, okay? Uh, again, and our church isn't great because of our location or our building or your, even how good looking your pastor is. Uh, Good place. Uh, that's a good place for an amen. I had to pause for it. Uh, but uh, our church is great because of the people. Some of the, the greatest Christians I've ever met in my entire life call this place their church home. Uh, one of the, the places I've been the most encouraged in my Christian life is in this uh, one of, Some of the greatest people I've had the opportunity to ever serve the Lord with, I, I serve with at this church. And so I love this place. 
And if this is the only church you've ever known, let me just tell you, not every church in the world is like Huicala. It just isn't. And so uh, sometimes people say, well, I'm moving to the mainland. Can you recommend a church like Huicala? I said, there's not one, but we'll, get, we'll try to get you close, okay? Uh, and so, but it, very unique what God's doing here. And if you've never been in a, in a church before where everybody kind of is on the same page together, again, our church isn't perfect and no, no church is perfect. But if you've ever been a part of a dysfunctional church before, you know what I'm talking about. That's just no fun at all. If you've ever been a, a part of a church where there's a lot of drama, a lot of fighting, uh, a lot of these people don't like those people and things along those lines, uh, let me just tell you, that's no fun whatsoever. I remember as a kid, uh, we attended uh, one church uh, for most of my growing up years, so I got probably, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade or so, and then uh, there was a, a church-wide business meeting on Wednesday nights. The first Wednesday night of the month was a business meeting. And let me just tell you, if you want to find a way to split a church and cause people problems, have a business meeting every single month where everybody sits in and talks about every single decision to be made. I'm talking about if somebody looked and said, we spent paper towels this month, we should put together a paper towel committee that studies paper towels and the, the, the supply chain management of paper towels and find out how we can get the best deal. And let's nominate Joe for paper towels. Well, why didn't they nominate Susie for paper towels? And man, drama I remember there was a business meeting and there was about, I think, a softball field or something like that and um, some people's feelings got hurt and people said things that were unkind and our our family ended up leaving a church uh, and and finding a different church because there was a little bit of drama there. But the the church that we ended up going to later was, well, this family's been here for a long time and so what they they, they say carries a lot of weight because they've been here for a long time. This guy over here gives a lot of money to the church and so his opinion matters and these people over here, you know, they only come uh, every couple of months and so they don't really matter as much and you begin to to see that the, the church was very well split and divided and everybody kind of had their place, knew their role, uh, and you didn't sit in Aunt Gertrude's seat if, if she was there. Uh, and so if you've never been a part of a church like that, let me just tell you, you're not missing out on anything whatsoever. Uh, it's terrible. It's awful. It's not good uh, in any way, shape, or form. That's not a healthy church. And when Paul challenges the church here to be of one mind and to be unified, that's the way the church is supposed to be. I don't know if there's any uh, drama in our church right now, but if there is, let me just tell you, we're going to fix it, we're going to get to the bottom of it, we're going to root it out, and we're going to move forward as a result of it. Uh, Because the church is to be unified. We're all one big family together. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, jot down a couple of thoughts this morning. First of all, discord, disharmony, conflict, division can disrupt, weaken, and destroy the church. Now, it's important that we define terms before we jump off here today. When we're talking about the church here today, we're not talking about Huicala Baptist Church, 1216 Waimanu Street, Honolulu, Hawaii, 96814. That's not the church. That is the address of a building. The, the building that you're seated in today is not the church. You might have said, uh, hey, I need to stop by the church, or I left my, uh, my uh, purse at the church, or I left my phone at the church. You didn't leave it at the church. You might have left it at the church building. But the church is made up of individual people. We are the church. When we talk about the church, I'm talking about me, I'm talking about you, I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about those who have been adopted into the family of God and call this place their church home. That is the local New Testament church. And we have to protect unity within the church. Critical. Because drama, fighting, disunity, disharmony threatens the structural integrity of the church. Now, who is a part of the church? You're not automatically born into a church. Uh, I'm thankful we have uh, babies all in our church. I, I love having babies. 
Christian church. We, I love our nursery. I love our children's ministry. Our, our kids are having fun over there. Um, the, the Coaster Ballas have been serving in, over in children's ministry. I love that. Makila came home last week. She was like, Dad, Mr. Kaz told us that if we did a good job, he would do a handstand. And I go, did he do it? And she goes, yeah. Can you do a handstand? Sweetheart, we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> no, but can you? Sweetheart, we're not going to talk about that right now. But I love that. And my wife was, uh, if, if you haven't met the Coaster Balls, they're phenomenal people. And uh, Kaz is uh, uh, in the and he's a logistics officer. And he's, he's all about business with those kids over there. And he talks to them like they're, like they're his, his airmen. And she said, I was walking to get something. And she says, and I heard Kaz go, all right, fellas, gather around. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to explain to you how this is about to go down because I don't want you to get your hopes up and be discouraged. And, and she goes, he was talking to him like, I want to set your expectations for you so that you don't wind up discouraged. She's like, Kids are like nine years old. It's like, no, that's good. I love it, man. Put some structure in those kids over there, right? Now, these kids weren't born into the church. These kids weren't born into the family of God. They might have been born into a Christian family, born into a church-attending family, but they were born into the family of God. I love kids. I'm glad we got a children's ministry at our church. You weren't born into the family of God. I wasn't born into the family of God because the Bible says that God had one son and one son only. And his name was Jesus. That's why we refer to him as the only begotten son of God. God has one son and that's it. But God has a family that he's opened up to anyone who would choose to be a part of his family. But the only way to get into God's family is through adoption. And so you and I weren't born into the family of God. The Bible actually says we were born into the family of the devil. The Bible says our father, the devil, we're the children of disobedience, we're the children of wrath. None of us are born automatically into the family of God. So you and I are born at odds with God. Romans chapter 5 would go so far as to say that you and I are the enemies of God. That's heavy. But our sin is what defines our relationship with God because we are sinners and we're born into this world as sinners. God has a standard. We didn't meet that standard. We continue to rebel against that standard. We continue to do our own thing, go our own way. And because of that, we have sinned against God. That automatically makes us enemies of God. That automatically puts us at odds with God. And we are not automatically the children of God. We're automatically the enemies of God. Because of our sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. You're going to die one day, not just a physical death, but also a spiritual death. When you die, your second death, the Bible says, you'll be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell that burns with real fire forever, and there's no second chances after that. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve, according to the Bible. The wages of sin is death. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell without another opportunity. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish that second death but have everlasting life instead. That Jesus came here. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished, but Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to endure God's wrath, but Jesus stood in my place and the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's some good stuff right there. Jesus died in my place. But I have to make a choice to accept the payment that Jesus made. Jesus made a payment for the sins of all who would believe. And if you're willing today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved or born again. 
For me, as a nine-year-old boy, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins, and I'm asking him to forgive me and save me of my sins. And that day, I was born again. It's not a matter of, of joining the class or being baptized or being catechized or we're gonna pull you up in front of the church and ask you a lot of questions or uh, any type of interrogation. There's no burning in your chest that you feel. There's no heavenly visions that you have to see. It's just a matter of believing in Jesus Christ as your savior and repenting of your sins and that's it. Once you do that, you're saved. You're born again. You're automatically a child of God. Then the Bible says you're adopted into the family of God. That makes you a part of the church. When we talk about the church, we're talking about the, the word that's used in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia, which means a called out assembly. We were part of something called the world and God took us out of that and placed us over here in this assembly for his purpose. This is the church. So you become a part of the church by being a part of the family of God. So this is really important. If you call yourself a church, but you're not made up of people that are part of the family of God, you're not a church. If you call yourself a church, but you deny God's word, you're not a church. You call yourself a church, but you're made people who are not saved, you're not a church. And so, again, I don't get to set the criteria for who's, who, who is and who is not a church. The Bible does that for us. I don't get to say who isn't, who isn't a Christian. The Bible does that for us. But it's really important that we define terms when we're talking about the church or the family of God. It's made up of saved individuals who've chosen to follow after God with their life. And let me just tell you this, personal drama causes all kinds of problems in the church. So that's why Paul challenges, hey, be like-minded, look out for each other, take care of one another. And so he challenges them for unity. Now, disunity is a potential danger for any church. In the history of Huicala, any personal drama that we've ever had, uh, I can tell you this, to my knowledge that I have known of, has been taken care of in 14 days or less. We've never had any lingering drama where these people don't like those people, this family doesn't like that family or anything like that. No, uh, just not because this is dangerous stuff. Churches get split over disunity. People fall away from God because of disunity and we just can't allow it to happen. And so we have to, as a church, strive for unity. Again, in the history of our church, we've never had any serious drama that hasn't been resolved because we've always been focused on unity. We're always greatly concerned with unity and having everyone on the same page and everyone striving together for the same purpose. Now, when the Bible challenges us with unity, really we find it challenging us in two different ways. The first type of unity it challenges us to have is, first of all, doctrinal and missional unity, and this is really important. That we all believe the same thing about the Bible, about God's Word. We talk about doctrine, we're talking about a body of truth that we, dry, we derive from God's Word. For example, Jesus Christ is God. We would call that the doctrine of the deity of Christ. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God, you believe that he was just a man who had God-like qualities, then you are not a Christian. Simple as that, because you don't believe the Bible. And, and again, we'll get to it a little bit later in probably two or three weeks away. Jesus Christ thought it not robbery to be made equal with God because he was God. He didn't think it was a strange thing that he was equal with God. 
So Philippians 2 actually points to and strengthens the argument or the doctrine of the deity of Christ. So if you say Jesus Christ was just a man who became like God, you're not a Christian. And that divides us. And here's the thing. It's important to understand. Doctrine provides great unity, but doctrine also divides in a good way. Okay? I want to be clear on that. Because let's say we have a guy that comes into our church who says, uh, hey, I, I love the church. I, I love the, uh, the pastor. Uh, I love uh, the people. I love the, the place. I love everything about this place. I want to I be a part of this church. I don't really believe that Jesus Christ was God, but uh, I want to be a part of a small group. He goes to a small group and he says, hey, here's some YouTube videos I, I want to put out about why Jesus Christ was not God. I'd like for you guys to, to watch these, and then we'll all discuss them as a small group. Does that create unity in our small groups or, no, or does it create division? Because now we got somebody who's giving false doctrine. So what do we do with that? We say, hey, bro, no, you're wrong. And if you want to find a place to do that, create your own platform, start your own church, find another church that aligns with the idea that Jesus Christ is not God. There are plenty of false, heretical cults out there that believe that Jesus Christ is not God. Join one of those. Because we don't stand for that. We stick with the Bible, God's word. So doctrine provides unity. We're all unified. We're all on the same page together when it comes to the Bible is God's word. It is a bedrock and the foundation for truth. That unites us. If you decide to go against the Bible, you've chosen your own path. You've chosen to divide from Jesus' church. And all throughout church history, people have chosen to divide from Jesus' church. So some people say, so if God is all about unity, and he is, and God wants the church to be unified, and he does, then why in the Sam Hill are there a thousand different types of churches? So divided. Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just be on the same page? Can't we all just say that we're the church and we can unite? The number one reason why we cannot do that is the word doctrine. What makes a Baptist church different from a Methodist church? Doctrine. What makes a Baptist different from a Presbyterian? Doctrine. What makes a Baptist different from a Pentecostal? Doctrine. What makes Baptists different from Catholics? Doctrine. What makes Baptists different from Jehovah's Witnesses? Doctrine is the answer always. And there are some things that we can say, hey, we can just agree to disagree on this. And there are other things where we, we draw a line in the sand and say, if you cross this line, you're just not a Christian. Simple as that. And so doctrine either unites or divides. And so that helps us to stay on the same page. So sometimes folks have come to our church and they say, Pastor, I love the church. I really want to be a part of this. But I want to be able to practice my spiritual gift here. And when people say that, that's always a big red flag. Because people generally don't think, I want to practice the, the spiritual gift of giving. I just, is this a place where I can give? Is this a place where I can invest in people's lives? That's generally not what they're talking about. And, and I always just say, what spiritual gift do you have? And it's generally their prophecy in the form of fortune telling of the future, which is not a real thing, or it's a gift of speaking in tongues, which I'm going to say this, and this might be a divisive statement, is not a real thing, okay? And if you just like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. I said it, and I'll, I'll clarify it if you want me to, and that might be, let me just say this, that might be a place where we choose to divide, and that's okay. Again, I had, I had breakfast with a guy 
man, it was probably at least seven years ago. We we were just starting Huikala, and I was trying to get to know people in the community. And this uh, pastor of a church reached out to me and said, hey, let's grab coffee. I saw your sign in the window. I'd love to talk with you and hear your story and hear what God's going to do in your church. And, man, that'd be great. So get to know another guy. So I sat down with him and I said, tell me about your church. And he said, oh, we're a non-denominational church. And I said, man, what does that mean? And he goes, well, at, at the end of the day, we just let the Bible speak. Good, I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a Bible guy myself. You know, I said, for us as Bible-believing Baptists, we would say we're exactly the same in the fact that we just let the Bible speak and whatever the Bible says, that's what we do. And I said, how is that different from non-denominational? He said, well, you know, we just allow people the freedom to interpret the Bible as they see fit. Oh, and so I said, well, let me ask you this question. I said, uh, do you believe... I said, how does one get saved? He said, well, we believe that you get saved by faith alone and Christ alone, uh, not based on our works or our merit, and it's through Christ uh, alone, not through our works that we do. Good, I, I would agree with that. And I said, can one lose their salvation in the fact that once God has adopted us into his family, can he ever kick us out for whatever reason? And he said, well, there's some in our church that believe in eternal security. That's what you're getting at. He said, but, but for me, he said, I'm more of a, uh, I believe you've got to toe the line and make sure that you're doing your end of the bargain because Christ kept his end of the bargain. I think you need to keep yours too. Ooh, that's dangerous. Um, okay. Um, I said, you know, we talked about things like communion and things like that and, and stuff. And I said, how about supernatural sign gifts? And he said, well, you know, I grew up Pentecostal. He said, so that, I think it kind of informs some of the decisions that I make and stuff like that. He said, but there's people in our church that believe in supernatural sign gifts and there's some that don't. And I said, well, well, what about you? And he said, again, I grew up Pentecostal, so I believe, you know. He said, this, we're sitting at, 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 at uh, breakfast. And he says, I believe if you've never spoken in tongues that you just don't have the Holy Spirit. Could you repeat that one more time? Because I don't think I heard you right. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe if you've ever spoken in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. I said, okay. I said, I've never spoken in tongues. Would you go so far as to say that I don't have the Holy Spirit? He goes, absolutely. What? And he goes, yeah. And I said, so you're saying that I'm not saved? He goes, well, I didn't say you weren't saved. I just said you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, the Bible says, Romans chapter 5 says, if any man have not the Spirit of, God, of Christ, he's none of his. That if I don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because I'm not saved. And he goes, uh, I don't know that I'd interpret it that way. And then I realized that for him, non-denominational means kind of, it's kind of like a uh, golden corral. Like I take a little bit of this, I'll leave a little bit of that. And, and here's the worst part about the golden corral. It's a great idea at the time, but an hour later, you're, you're hating life, right? Those of you who've never been to a Golden Crown have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's a great idea at the time, but at the end, you're just like, this is not what I was looking for at all, right? <laughs> and so I realized in that conversation the importance of good Bible doctrine. And, and I asked him, I said, I said, do you understand where Pentecostalism and the supernatural sign gifts came from? And he goes, what do you mean? And I go, do you understand the, where that branched off of? And he goes, I don't understand the question. And I said, are you familiar with the holiness movement? And he goes, I'm not. Got it. I said, you need to do some research on church history. And so, I, and, you know, again, I tried to encourage him and help him, but the, the guy basically told me that I wasn't saved, and so I wasn't really in a mood to help a lot that day. Uh, but <laughs> here's the fact of the matter. If you trace back where Pentecostals came from, they branched off the holiness movement, which is a branch off of Methodist, and the Methodists were a branch off of the Anglican church, which is a branch off of Catholicism, so it's a domino of false teaching, and they've always divided over doctrine. And so how did we wind up with the Pentecostal church? It was a division over doctrine that happened over a period of, of 500 years. So again, this is important that we understand doctrine and what is worth a hill worth dying for. And doctrine is a hill that I'm willing to die on. It's that important. 
And it's so important that we'd be willing to divide over it. So again, if somebody comes and says, uh, there's a, a really good um, person in our church that had came for a while. He said, Pastor, I've never grown under preaching the way that I have here. I've been in church my whole life. I've never grown the way that I have here. I've never felt community the way that I felt here. I've never seen the spirit of Christ the way that I've seen it here. They said, but I just got to speak in tongues and I can't do that here. Right. And so I'm going to go back to the church that I came from because they let me speak in tongues there. And we began to look at the Bible and, and speaking in tongues and the qualification in tongues that's given in 1 Corinthians and stuff like that. Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but I know what I feel. Okay. And again, we divided over doctrine. And I sent that person on and said, hey, if you ever have questions about the Bible, you can always come back here. But again, if that's what you need, then you need to go somewhere else. And doctrine in that case divided. And that's okay because here we stay united. So the mission of the church, go in back and teach. We can't get around that. Uh, we're united behind our mission and the doctrine. But the second type of unity that the Bible implores or challenges, and this is really important, is interpersonal unity. And this is the one that Paul's really writing at in the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 1, he says that you have one mind, one spirit striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's talking about doctrinal unity there, missional unity, and the fact that the, the Great Commission is the mission. That's where we're going. That's what keeps us unified. But when we get here to the beginning of, of chapter number 2, now he begins to shift into interpersonal unity. Make sure that you're looking out for each other. We're not talking about making sure that we agree on, on what the Bible says. We're making sure that, that there's no drama amongst you guys. We're making sure that you guys are on the same page, that you love each other, that you're not so concerned about yourself that you forget about everybody else. Paul, as he writes to the church at Rome in Romans 15, verse number five, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mouth and one mind glorify God, even the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another as Christ also received us into the glory of God. And so here he says, Hey, make sure that you love each other, that you're doing everything together with one mind, that there's no drama, no fighting, nobody that, that dislikes another person in the church. We all got to stick together. Now, if you've ever been a part of an organization, whether it's a family, a team, or an office, or uh, environment where there's been more than one person, you know, you, you can't just tell people to get along and it just happens, right? There's always going to be strife. There's always going to be drama. There's always going to be conflict, and the church is no different. And again, if you believe that this church is the perfect church, please let me help dispel that myth. This church isn't perfect, 100%. And if you and I ever found the perfect church and we joined it, it would then cease to be perfect because we're a part of it. It's just how it works. Our church isn't perfect. So how do we keep a spirit of love and service, no drama, no fighting? How do we make that happen? The Bible tells us exactly how it happens. Keep your finger here in the book of Philippians. We're going to come back. But turn over to Matthew chapter 18, if you would. Clear, crystal clear guidelines on how we resolve conflict in the church. Again, in the history of our church, the times that we've had problems, we've resolved them really, really quickly because we've done it exactly the way Matthew chapter 18 says to do it. And if you uh, have your Bible and you don't have verses 15, 16, and 17 highlighted, circled, starred in your Bible, do that immediately because this is how you fix problems. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. 
If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So, verse 1, really clear. If somebody sins against you, go to that person and tell them what happened. And if they hear you and you guys resolve things and you've gained a brother as a result of it. So let's just say, for example, my friend John. John begins saying things about me that aren't true and hurtful things about me. And he begins to share it not only with, with his wife, but also with other people in our church. So if I've got a problem with John now, which I do, who do I talk to about it? Not a trick question. Who do I talk to about it? John, right? But I don't go to John. I go to Dante. Dante, did you know that I've been having problems with John? And he goes, no way, I did too. Really? Tell me about what happened. And he tells me about what happened to him. And I say, that's unbelievable. Levi, have you ever heard that about John before? I haven't heard that about John, but I heard it about Tim Warner. No way. Tell me about Tim Warner. And then we began talking about everybody else in the church. And we haven't really fixed anything, but now we've created more problems because we started what's called, help me, gossip. It's funny to talk about that way, but friend, this is how churches get destroyed. Destroyed. And now, me and Levi and Dante are closer now, united in our front against fake brothers in the church who spread lies and hurt people. And it's the three of us against the two of them. And now, we've created factions in the church that are fighting against each other. But here's what the Bible says. If I've got a problem with John, you know what I do? I'll go talk to John about it. Simple as that. And when people come to me and they say, well, pastor, I've got a problem with so-and-so in the church, I always stop them immediately and say, hey, have you talked to them about this yet? Well, no, I wanted to come to you first. Mm, that's not what the Bible says. I say go to the pastor first. Now, there are times where people say, hey, I want to confront this person the way the Bible says. I just need a little bit of wisdom and finesse in how to do that. Hey, I'm all kinds of happy to help you to get the words together or to even practice a run-through if you want to do it on how to do this. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's not my job to mop up your mess. If you've got a problem with somebody, you go and talk to them. Now, let me just say for just a second, there have been times in the history of our church where people have said unkind things about me or my wife or even my children that I've just chosen, hey, look, I'm not going to give that a second of my thought. It doesn't bother me. I'm just going to forgive that person and move on. Uh, now, the Bible says mark them that cause division. I'm going to know that that person is that type of person. But at the end of the day, it doesn't cause me any heartache. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Uh, it doesn't affect me in any way. And I just choose to forgive and move on. You can do that, 100%. But there are times where like, no, this needs to be confronted. This needs to be discussed. This needs to be talked about. And so I go to John and say, John, what you said, first of all, was a lie. Second of all, is very hurtful to me. And John says, well, pastor, I think you should just mind your own business. I don't know who told you that, but that's none of their business either. Ooh, that's a problem. Or if John says, pastor, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Uh, I was just blown off some steam and I was in the flesh. Would you forgive me? The Bible says I've gained a brother if that's the case. And here's what I've found. In the times that people have confronted me or I've had to confront other people, my relationship with that person is always strengthened because I know this person has my back. If they're willing to say to my face, hey, what you did was totally uncool, I realize that you love me enough to tell me that I was out of line. And I appreciate that. Man, and that strengthens my relationship with that person. When somebody says, hey, what you said was really hurtful, I want to apologize and make that right, and it strengthens my relationship with that person. And I want to be called out when I'm done wrong. That's, and here's the thing. Let me help you with this. If you're part of a church where someone confronts you when you do wrong, please see that as a gift, not as a nuisance. 
I've seen people before that are like, bro, mind your own business. Grow some thick skin. What's your problem? No, I want people to call me out. It, it's funny, I was reading in First um, and Second Samuel the story of David and Bathsheba several months ago. And from the time David saw Bathsheba until the time that she had his kid, not one person called David out for what he had done wrong. Everybody was complicit in it. David said, go get that woman for me. Nobody said, hey, Dave, you've got a wife already. Hey, Dave, you're supposed to be at battle. Hey, Dave, that's Uriah's wife. Hey, Dave. Nobody. Everyone was complicit and just said, yes, sir. And you don't want a bunch of people who just nod and pat you on the back and tell you you're the greatest things in sliced bread because you're not. You need people in your life that will call you out. And so when that happens, step one, this is a gift. But if that person won't hear you, verse number 16, if you won't hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So, hey, John doesn't want to hear me. John tells me to mind my own business. I'm going to grab a couple of other godly men in our church that can encourage John. So I say, hey, Ron, would you mind going with me? Steve, would you mind going with me? We need to talk to John about what's going on so that these guys can sit and say, oh, pastor, you need to grow thick skin. Or they can say, hey, John was in the wrong. He needs to make that right. And we can together find solution. Please understand this process. Matthew chapter 18 is sometimes referred to as church discipline. But the idea here is not to find out who's right, who's wrong, or to choose sides. The goal here is unity and restoration, always. And so even if I've got to confront John about something he said that was a lie or hurt my feelings, I'm doing it because I love him and because I love Jesus' church. And it's that important that we're all on the same page together. So then me and uh, Steve and Ron meet with John. And John says, guys, you're wasting your time here. I got nothing else to say. What I say is what I say. And what I say in private is my business. And you guys just need to buzz off. And if you've got hurt feelings over this, you need to grow thicker skin. Okay. What does the Bible say happens now? Take a look at verse number 17. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So now, if it's not resolved, we've got to tell it to the church. Folks, I just want to let you know that there's a man in our church that had been saying hateful, ugly, slanderous lies about me and my family. And people are like, ooh. And his name's John Stoker. <gasps> what? No. The Bible says, name them. Tell it to the church. It's not a matter of like, there's somebody in our church, we won't say who it is, that's stirring up some strife. And if you know, you know. And so we're not going to really go into that. No, the Bible says, tell it to the church. His name's John Stoker. He's causing division. What he's saying is lies. And if you hear it, you need to rebuke him and rebuke the people that hear it. Gossip. And you want to perpetuate the lies? We're going to call your name out next for being a church gossip. Because this stops today. And John's welcome to, to be there. And John says, I stand by what I said. You guys just need to buzz off. Then the Bible says we're to treat him as an unsaved man. Now, some people misunderstand this verse and misapply it. Some people would go so far as to call this excommunication. Don't speak to John. If you see John in the supermarket, turn around and go down a different aisle. Don't speak to him. Don't speak to his kids. Talk trash about him every opportunity that you get. Condemn him. All these other things, that's not how you treat an unsaved person. How do you treat an unsaved person? You love them and you plead for them to come to repentance. You don't buddy up with them. I'm not going to ask John to be a part of my fantasy football team and treat him like he's still a brother because he's not. He's chosen to rebel against God's word, against his church family. He's chosen to cause division. He's chosen to see himself out. 
And he's no longer a part of our body. He's no longer brother to me. He's treated as an unsaved man. And while I'm grieved for him, I want him to come to repentance. I'm no longer his friend and no longer his brother, but I want him to come back to Christ. You say, that's really harsh. You shouldn't be that mean. I didn't write it. <laughs> These aren't my rules and my guidelines. These are God's. And here's the thing. The times that this has had to happen in our church, it's always 100% of the time resulted in a stronger, more unified, more on-fire connected church family every single time. There have been, there's one time in the history of our church that we got to step four, and it was awful. Awful. But the weeks after that were glorious. Oh man, they were so good. There's a time in, in, in our church that we had some fighting and some drama amongst families in our church. And I got together with both families separately and heard their sides of the story and it was awful. One family was willing to repent and make things right and find restoration. The other stuck to their guns. And um, I remember talking with them and I had my wife with me as, as a witness and we were talking through this and, and they said, hey, look, pastor, if, if this means us staying at the church or not, we'll just sit on a different side of the auditorium from and just won't speak to them. No, absolutely not. Well, we'll just, if we see them, we'll just turn around and go the other way. We just won't even look at them, won't look their direction. No, that's not an option. Your option is to repent and make things right. Well, we don't feel like we've done anything we need to repent of. Okay. Then I think it's time for you to find a different church. <gasps> you said that? Yeah. You see, it's that big of a deal. We're not going to agree to disagree. We're not going to agree to not like each other. Well, I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. What? The, the opposite. And so I think it's probably best that you find a different church. And what happened? They left. And you know what happened? Our church was better because of it. Everybody could breathe. No more drama, no more strife. And again, it took about 14 days to sort it all out, but it worked itself out. And I'm better. we're better because of it. I, I didn't lose any sleep over it. And our church was strengthened as a result of it. And that's okay. Because at the end of the day, God's word always works. If you've, if you've ever had the privilege of disciplining your children, it's hard. It's terrible. And you always say, especially when you're a kid and you receive a spanking and your dad says something stupid like, son, this hurts me a lot more than it hurts you. You're like, it does not hurt you as bad as it hurts me. Swing in your arm, that don't hurt until you have kids and you realize that this precious child that is a gift from God that you have to inflict bodily harm upon them because you love them so dearly and the path that they're going is a path of destruction and you're trying to save their soul and you realize how painful that is to discipline your own child. But if it's done right and it's done in a spirit of love and a desire for righteousness and holiness, the end result of that discipline is actually a very positive thing. Because look, I'm not mad at you. I love you. I want the best for you. We just can't continue living this way anymore. God's discipline and chastising on us is the same. The process that the church has to go through and discipline is always the same. That every time we've ever had to go through this, and let me just tell you this process here, by the grace of God, 90% of the time it's had to end at step one. Where I confront somebody, they say, hey, I was wrong. I want to make it right. Done. Hey, you said this to this person, it wasn't cool, fix it, I'm sorry, done. 
Every single time we've ever had to do, go down this road, it's always resulted in a positive net effect. Painful at the time, but positive in the end because it's God's plan for conflict resolution and restoration. So how do we keep things humming around here with nobody mad at each other? Man, we, we just do it God's way. We choose to submit ourselves in humility towards one another. We choose to walk in holiness and righteousness. We choose to follow God's plan for conflict resolution. Turn back to Philippians 2 if you would. The commitment to a unified mission of the church and a desire to have the mind of Christ strengthens our resolve and deepens our commitment to one another. Look, we're here today because we believe God's word is true. We have chosen to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. We've chosen to put ourselves under the authority of the local church, which Jesus Christ is the head of. We've chosen to do that, and that's what strengthens us together. That's what makes us stronger. That nobody in here gets to say, well, I think things should be done this way. Okay, let's just go back to what the Bible says. And our, choo- our, our choosing, our choice to put ourselves under the authority of Christ and under the authority of God's word strengthens us together as a community. Now, why do we strive for unity? Why is that even such a big deal? Because it points back to the personhood of Christ. If you take a look at Philippians chapter two, verse number one, all these questions are asked in almost kind of a rhetorical fashion if there be uh, any consolation, if there be uh, any fellowship, if there be, the idea is that there is, of course there is. These are more imperative statements. Because there is consolation in Christ, because there is fellowship in the Spirit, because there is comfort found in love, this is why we strive for unity. First of all, it says uh, in verse number one, if there be any consolation in Christ, because we're in Christ, he's with us, he is our encourager. There's unity because we are, have chosen to be in Christ. It says if they're in Christ, there's any consolation. That word consolation, when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, is the word parakalesis, where we get our word paraclete from. Paraclete is the root word that's also used in John chapter 15 and 16 for the Holy Spirit or the comforter. The word paraclete means one who comes along beside, the one who walks alongside of, and Jesus, Paul's saying, hey, in Jesus Christ, there's consolation, there's comfort because we know that he's walking with us every step along the way. Secondly, he says, if there's any comfort of love, love is concerned for others and gives comfort and has compassion, encouragement to other people. And so because there is love in the heart of every Christian because we're in Christ, because the church is a place of love, Hey, look, there should be no more loving place on this entire island on Sunday mornings than who we call a Baptist church. This should be a place of love. If this is your first time here, let me just tell you, I love you and I'm glad that you're here, that this is a place of people that are not perfect but are trying to grow, and we love Jesus and we love you. But that's who we are. (laughs) And if there's disunity, there's drama, there's fighting, there's strife, that's the opposite of love. Love says, I choose to put you first. I'm more concerned with your well-being than I am my own concern for my own well-being. The Holy Spirit provides connectedness, fellowship, and oneness. The, uh, again, verse number two, uh, verse number one, if any comfort of any fellowship of the Spirit. The word fellowship is a Greek word koinonia, which means community or a people who have something in common with one another. And our commonality is the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, the same Spirit that is in you is in the same Spirit that's in me. And we have a connectedness because of the Spirit. We're for each other because of the Spirit that connects us. I had the opportunity uh, in 2018 to go to, uh, um, 2019, went to Malaysia. 
And it was awesome. I'd never been to, to anywhere in, in, in Asia before, and so it was totally awesome. And on a Wednesday night, we were driving to this uh, church that I was supposed to preach at, and uh, we're in the back of a, of a car, and our driver's driving us to where we're supposed to go. And it was the evening call for prayer that was coming over the loudspeakers. Malaysia's a Muslim country, and you, so you see all these guys in long robes and the hats, and they're walking really slowly to evening prayer, and everybody's going to pray in the evening. Basically, all the markets are shutting down, and all the lights are turning out, and people are walking through the streets. It's just this weird, weird feeling. I'm like looking out the window and I'm taking pictures and it's just like, wow, this is like surreal. Like, you know you're in a foreign country now. And they pull us up in front of this little shop. There's a big, long building with a bunch of shops in front of it. And these doors were closed. There's people standing outside, a bunch of cars jammed out outside there. And they see us get out of the car and they open the doors and there's this band up on stage playing and these people and they're screaming and singing and praising God and hands up in the air and I hear the name Jesus and it's just like oh these are my people here like I have no idea what you're saying but I heard Jesus and I'm down with that right and immediately I don't know you I don't even know what you're saying but I heard the name Jesus and my spirit connects with your spirit and these are my people 30 seconds ago, I was super freaked out by the dude in the long robe walking to evening prayer. The door's open, and I hear the name of my Savior. Hey, this is us. These are our people. This is awesome. <laughs> it was neat after, afterwards. Uh, you know, when, when I walked in, we, we got there a little bit late because of traffic and stuff like that. And so as we walk in, like, people like, stop singing, and they like, start staring at me as they walk past. It's like people pulling out their phones and taking pictures and stuff like that. This is so weird. And so uh, uh, afterwards, everything, people asked they could come take a picture of me, which I thought was weird. I was like, okay, that's fine. So I'm giving shakas and taking pictures of all these little Malaysian kids and stuff like that. And, and uh, people like sit there and laugh and everything. And they look and they're like rubbing their face like this and laughing. And I was like, what is up? And they said, and so speaking to the interpreter, says, a lot of these people have never seen an American before. You're the first American they've ever seen. And I was like, what a terrible introduction to Americans, right? Like, <laughs> All Americans are not as ugly as me. They're like, you're so big. Are all Americans so big like this? No. Uh, do all Americans have big beards like this? No. I'm just really weird. Uh, and so, but we felt connected. What was it? It was the spirit that connected us. And so if you can have that with somebody in a foreign country that you've never met before, that you'll never see again this side of heaven, why can we not have that amongst our brothers and sisters in the local church? So because there's consolation in Jesus Christ, because of our love for one another, because of the spirit that connects us together, it says at the end of verse number one, if any bowels and mercy, and, and in the Bible when it speaks of bowels, it's speaking about basically the deepest recesses of your heart. When it's talking about bowels, it's talking about the seat of your emotions. It's basically your, the upper viscera area of the torso. It's where the, the, in biblical times, they assume that your emotions rested. The deepest part of your being if there's any mercy, if there's any consolation found in there, which there is in the life of a Christian, that's why we seek unity. Unity glorifies God. <laughs> Disunity, drama, fighting in the church always brings discredit upon the name of the Lord, always. Anytime you see a church split take place, that brings a blight on the name of Christ. Anytime you see a pastor who's fired from the pastor because of sin, that brings blight on the name of Christ. It's sickening and disgusting to see lately. I don't know if this is a product of social media, whether it's just the age that we live in, where pastors who are involved in, in illicit affairs 
leave their church and then start second chance ministries, so to speak, with their new wife or their new girlfriend. And now they're pastoring a new church of second chances. And here's my story of how I wrecked my life and was running a successful ministry and, and ran off with my secretary and married her. But God gives second chances. And now they chose to, quote, pastor second chance ministries. That's garbage. Garbage. Does God give second chances? Yes. But he also has qualifications for pastors that are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can't do that. And again, I don't have to go through an affair to tell you that God gives second chances, okay? It doesn't add any credence to the fact that God is a God of grace. So that's garbage. But anytime disunity takes place in the church, it hurts the name of the Lord. When Jesus actually is talking to the Father in John chapter uh, 17, before he's crucified, he prays to the Father and says that they may all be one, John 17, 21 they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The glory which thou gavest me, I have given unto them, that they may be one even as we are one. So Jesus says, I want all of your children, all of those who put their faith in me to be as one, just like you and I are one. So just like God exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but they are all one. So the church exists in many different diverse people, yet makes up one church. That's the idea behind this. And so again, people say, well, well that doesn't sit very well for the idea that there's one church, but there's a hundred different denominations. Again, Jesus started one church that was founded upon the Bible and sound Bible doctrine, and we're part of that church. Now again, People say, well, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't start a Baptist church. No, Jesus started a, a church that was built upon himself and his word. And we are a church that is built upon himself and his word. Well, isn't every other church like that? I don't know. Ask the guys who wear the long white robes with the things on the side. Ask the guys with the backwards collar who call themselves father. Ask the guys who have the, the incense that they swing back and forth as they walk down the aisles. Ask people who light candles. I think the answer to that will be no. So again, I'm not saying we're the only church that's right. I'm saying that we must be a church that is right. We can't afford to be wrong. So there's one church and unity glorifies God. The church is, is unified under the banner of service and humility. Take a look at verse number two. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. The idea here is that we're all on the same page together. What unites us as a church? Service and humility. And again, you just need to read a little bit further down in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who took upon himself the form of a servant. Oh man, that's so good. What are we about here at this church? What unites us? The idea that we're a bunch of nobodies who serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's it. If you stuck around at who's all for any length of time, you know that there's never been a flow chart that's passed around of our church. You know why? Because the flow chart of the church is really flat. There's one person at the top. You know who that is? If you say the pastor, you're wrong. A lot of churches are like that. The pastor's at the top, or the pope's at the top, or a bishop, or a cardinal's at the top. You know who's at the top of the church? Jesus. That's it. You know who's underneath him? Everybody. And it's a flat flow chart. Now, everyone has a role to fulfill in the church, just like everybody in the body has a, a body part. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians. But the pastor pastor isn't elevated on the top of the flow chart. There's two offices of the church, the pastor and the deacon, that's it. But that just means these guys have special roles to fulfill. There's no flow chart. I'm here to serve. That's, that's what I do. 
when people before, there's a guy who came to our church, he didn't last long, uh, but um, he, he came to our church the very first Sunday, very first Sunday, uh, I was standing out, uh, out front and talking to him, he's like, he like, hey, my name's Joe. Joe, pleasure to meet you, man, how'd you find our church? Found you on the internet. I just want to let you know that I'm an ordained deacon and I'm looking for a place to serve and I also taught a Sunday school class for 15 years, so I'll be happy to teach in uh, any ministry that you have. What was your name again? <laughs> Joe. Got it, Joe. Um, let it be noted that Joe wants a position of the deacon or a teacher. If he can't have that, he doesn't really want to. Joe, I just really recommend you hang out here for about six months or so and just get to know us, get to know our church family and find a place that's a, a good place for you, a good fit for you to serve in and, and we'd love to have you as part of our church family. When can we talk about being a deacon? It'll be a while, Joe. And he lasted probably about three weeks because he wanted a, a position. He wanted a title to fulfill. We had a, uh, I got so discouraged. One time we had a, we, we were calling it a new member's lunch. And if you're interested in being a member of who we call it, we had lunch uh, provided after church on Sunday. And I told you about the history of our church and constitution and bylaws and areas that you could serve in and things like that. We had, we had like 25 people that showed up for lunch and we had a great time. And we had zero people join the church from that lunch. I thought that was the failure of all failures. Man, that was terrible. But I, I had Q&A time and said, hey, who has questions about our church? One of the guys raised his hand. He says, what committees are there that I can serve on? We don't have any committees in our church. Can we start some committees? No. Next question. Why can't we start committees? Because you don't find committees in the Bible. Next question. Well, I've been in a lot, a lot of churches that have a lot of committees. We don't do committees here, man. I'm sorry. So you're telling me there'll never be a committee that I can be a part of that I can be in charge of? Yes. Okay, that answers all my questions then. Good. And he didn't say and that's a good thing, because if you're looking for a title of who you are, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I love when people come to, to our church and they say, Pastor, I just want to serve in any capacity that I can. I'm willing to, to teach kids. I'm willing to scrub toilets. I'm willing to change out paper towels. Good. Because you know what I do here as the pastor? <laughs> I scrub toilets. I change out paper towels. Kids. And let me just tell you, of all the things that I enjoy doing at Hui Kala, Teaching kids is not like in my top 25 at all. But we were putting together our Awana program uh, two years ago. And um, I said, we need 18 teachers in Awana. And it's just like finding 18 people that will teach kids, that's a, that's a heavy task. And I said, here's what I want to do. I'm going to lead the way by example. And I'm going to be one of those 18 teachers. I'm willing to take a shift and teach kids on a Wednesday night in Awana. And, and so I said, hey, would you be willing to teach? I'm teaching. It's only, you know, four weeks. If you'd be willing to jump in and teach for that four weeks, that'd be awesome. I'm doing it myself, you know, lead by example. That was the longest four weeks of my life. <laughs> and every Wednesday night about 5.30, I'd be like, I think I'm getting sick. I need to call in a sub. This is not for me. But here's the thing. And he, I, had, I had like four boys, and they were awesome. They were so much fun to be with. But I'm just not good at teaching kids. But I was willing, you know why? There's, a, there's a, a hole. I can fill a hole. I'm not better than teaching kids. Oh, you're the pastor. So what? You get to teach kids. It's awesome. You're the pastor. You shouldn't scrub toilets. Says who? Jesus Christ washed feet. Come on. And again, this idea that a pastor should be in an elevated position where he never has to lift a finger and everybody takes care of him, that's not biblical at all. So again, the idea here is what unites us is service, is humility. That's what connects us together. That none of us are better than anybody else. 
And what that means is if we're all walking in humility and love and service for one another, there's no place in Jesus' church for interpersonal drama, none, zero, zip, zilch, ever, under any circumstances. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, none, ever. There's no divisions, we're all one together here. That's why uh, we as a church, again, I'm not saying never because I don't like to say never, but I'm just telling you that I can't forever see a time in our church where we're going to have like a, a Korean get-together where only the Koreans go and have lunch together. Hey, look, share your Calbee with everybody. Everybody loves Calbee, right? <laughs> don't keep it for yourself. You know? We're not going to have a Hispanic fellowship. Everybody likes burritos. Bring your burritos. You know? Let everybody enjoy that. You know? We're not going to have a... You know, uh, married spouses, military fellowship. What the world? No, we're the body of Christ. We're all together. Now, we have a single adults ministry because they don't, most of the time, don't have kids to watch on Friday night. They can have their own Bible study, but we're not going to segment them. And you know, the great part about our single adults ministry is the majority of them are still involved in other small groups on, on Tuesday and Wednesday night, too. And so they don't segregate themselves from the church, they integrate with the church. And so we don't create cliques. We don't create pods of people that you could never get into somebody else's group or this group of friends over here. No, there's no room for that. There's no divisions. We're all together. And I've said before, if there's interpersonal drama in our church, I don't know about it. And if I know about it, I'm going to fix it. I said before, if you've got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. <laughs> and if you got that, shame on you for listening to music like Shame on you. But seriously, if there's a problem in our church, we're going to fix it because it's not going to stand. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. We don't have time to read it, but on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. If you have a gift and you're about to give it and you remember that you've got a problem with your brother, don't even give your gift. Just go to that person, sit down and talk with them. And then after you made things right with them, then bring your gift. That's how important unity is to Jesus. If we were passing the offering basket and you remember that things aren't right between you and another Christian, you need to stop before you ever give to the Lord and go make things right. And then you can give your gift. One of the things I love about our church is there's been times before where I've seen people come and go outside and sit and make things right with one another before they come into church. That, that is beautiful. That is exactly what the Bible says to do. And if there's somebody who sat across from somebody across the auditorium with their arms crossed, glaring at them, I didn't know about it because if I did, I would fix it. Because there's no place in the church for that. Contention is always rooted in pride 100% of the time. If there's problems and strife in a relationship, whether it be in a church, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in your workplace, the root of that is always pride, always. And you say, well, maybe 90%, but not all. Only by pride cometh contention. That's in the Bible, and you can argue to your blue in the face. You're not going to convince me otherwise. That's what the Bible says. So if there's drama, pride is always the root. If I'm frustrated with my wife, you know why I'm frustrated? Because of pride. I remember our very first um, Christmas uh, together. We were living in uh, Navy housing over here. Angel and I just got married, and it was our first Christmas, and we were talking about decorations and things like that, and we we're going to buy our first tree. And our neighbors next door had, had put up uh, their Christmas decorations early, like in October. And it was kind of neat because they put up the, like the blow-up, you know, snow globe in the front yard. It's like, oh, that's cool. And the next week they get like a snowman and put it out there. That's cool. And like every week they would add to it. It was kind of fun. And by the time, like, in the middle of November rolled out, I mean, their yard was covered with stuff. They're putting stuff up on the house and lights and everything. It's like, oh, this is awesome, you know? 
Like it was our first Christmas together. And it's like, oh, Christmas in Hawaii. You know, there's no snow, but you got the neighbor who's like all out like Clark Griswold at his house, you know, and just like, this is awesome. Shame on you if you got that reference too. <laughs> and then, you know, Christmas came and went and it's like the first week of January and all the stuff's still out there. And it's just like, this isn't cool. And like the second week of January, all the stuff's still out there, but none of it's inflated anymore. It's just a bunch of deflated garbage sitting on the front lawn. And now I begin to get frustrated. And it's like, when are they going to take their stupid stuff down? It gets the first week of February, and I'm just mad about it now. I'm going to go in like a black sock hat at night and go rip their stuff down off their, their roof. I'm mad. I called Navy Housing. Like, they got weeds growing up around their deflated Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that's sitting in their front yard. Can somebody come by and write them a ticket for this? I'm mad about it now. Why was I so angry with my neighbor? Pride. You see, it was cute in November for me, like, oh, Christmas, this is amazing. Come January, it's like, bro, take your stuff down, seriously, or I'll rip it down with my own bare hands. What was the difference there? Pride. It suited my needs in December. It didn't suit my needs in the middle of February anymore. Now I'm mad about it. What was the difference? Pride. (laughs) My neighbor didn't change, obviously. (laughs) Nothing with him changed. It didn't bother him to have a bunch of garbage on his front lawn, but it, it, it grinded my gears. What was the difference? Pride. And I got to be careful because pride has its way of sneaking into your heart undetected. And you're like on edge, you're frustrated, you're mad. What is it? Pride. <laughs> I'll have to admit, you've probably seen me do it. If you have, just have grace on your pastor. I hate this uh, interchange on, at the end of P.E. Coy when you get on the freeway. It just backs up for ages and ages and ages. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll ride in the left-hand lane like you're going to the post office and right before you get to the freeway, I'll jump over that lane. Somebody's not paying attention on their phone. Boom, jump right over and go. You know why? Because my time's obviously more important than the 40 people that I just passed. You know why? Because I'm better than you. I don't have as much time as you have. I don't know what you're doing that you can just sit and wait in a line of 40 people that take three cars at a time to get on the freeway. I ain't got that kind of time. I'm better than you, so I'm going to make my way to get in front of you. You know what that is? Pride. I think I'm better than you or I don't, I, I don't, what I have is more important than what you have. Pride seeps into every area of our lives. Be careful with that because pride destroys churches, destroys. Every single church that's ever been ruined has been ruined by pride and selfishness. Let me just tell you that. Every pastor that's ever fallen in spectacular fashion, fashion has fallen from pride and selfishness Please be careful. There's no room for it in the church at all. Following the example of Jesus, putting people first and serving others. This is what Jesus did. This is what we do. Again, you take a look at verse number three in our passage here. Let nothing be done in strife and vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but on the things of others. It's not about me. It's really about you. How can I serve you? How can I help you? Do you know that there's ladies that work in our nursery that watch babies that don't even have kids of their own? Isn't that incredible? They're not just doing their turn because somebody else watches their baby and so they're just kind of pitching into the community effort to watch kids. No, they, you know what they say? I'm willing to miss preaching today because I want you to be able to sit in the service and hear preaching from God's word and enjoy it and not have to worry about your kid. That's a gift. We have people over here that are teaching kids in super church this morning, not because they love teaching kids, because they want to serve these kids and give them a love for Jesus at a very, very young age. And that's a gift. And they've said, hey, 
It's a lot more difficult for me to have to put together a lesson and prepare ahead and be here early and set everything up to welcome the kids in than it is to just show up 10 minutes late with a Starbucks in my hand and sit on the back row. But I choose to be inconvenient so that these kids can be helped and so that your family can be served. That's a gift, gift. But here's the thing. We all should live like that. What can I do? What's my part? How can I serve? How can I pitch in? What is my role here that I have to fulfill? How can I serve others? Not how can I get what's in it for me? Again, we live in a consumeristic mindset of the world today where people say, what's in it for me? People come to our church and they're like, oh, I thought the music was lame. Oh, there wasn't any place to park. So far I had to walk. Oh, it's, it's in the city and I don't like being in the city. And uh, my, my kids, you know, there's a big class in there. I don't I want my kids in a little class. And uh, they don't get enough coloring sheets. And they don't get enough goldfish in their class. And I want to find somewhere different that's more comfortable. And I want a shorter message. <laughs> there's a lot of shorter messages to be had than mine. That's fine. Um, but what do I want? What's going to make me happy? Instead of saying, I always tell people when you look for a church, look for this. Look for a church that, first of all, preaches the Bible. Look for a place where you can grow spiritually and look for a place that you can serve others. If you're missing any of those, you're not in the right place. If you're in a place that doesn't preach the Bible, you're doing yourself a great disservice. I've known people before who have left and gone to, to heretical churches because they say, oh, I love the worship over there. I just feel it in my bones. <laughs> you're hearing heretical teaching from God's word. Come on. You know, the worst part is some of these people have gone through discipleship and know better. But the music makes them feel something. Okay, whatever. But they're not hearing sound teaching. Other times, people grow, and they're not growing from the Word of God. If it's not a place where you can grow, you need to be somewhere else. Other times, people find a place in a church where they don't need you. Everything's fine. We don't need anybody else to help anything. All of our slots are filled. They just sit back and enjoy the show. That's not Christianity. Unless you think like, oh, who we call has got everything, all the boxes checked, they don't need me, friend. Everybody has a job to do, every single one of us. So again, the spirit of service, the spirit of humility is the spirit of Christ. Six quick things and we're done, I promise. First of all, we can't seek unity at the expense of truth. I have no desire to find unity with Jehovah's Witnesses who deny the deity of Christ. I have no desire to find unity with Mormons who would say that we are going to become gods of our own universe one day. I have no desire to, to become unified with the Catholic Church that denies that Christ is enough for justification and faith alone in him. I don't have time for that. I'm not seeking unity at the expense of truth. I'm not going to continue to have breakfast with the guy who tells me I'm not saved because I don't speak in tongues. Just not. But I am going to seek unity at the expense of death to self. I am going to, speak to seek unity at the expense of my own pride, for sure. Next, unity in the church always requires humility. Always, always, always. You know what you'll find if you're in church long enough? Is there's times where things happen and you just choose to give it to the Lord, forgive and move on. There's other times you need to confront somebody. And maturity and wisdom will help you with determining whether that's the case or not. <laughs> somebody came to me one time and said, Pastor, I saw so-and-so talking to their kid outside. I didn't like the way they were talking to him. What should I do? Were they cursing? No. Were they being abusive? No. Were they being physical? No. I just didn't like their tone of voice. What should I do? <laughs> Mind your own business. Oh, what? I didn't like their tone of voice. You have no idea what's going on in their house? Mind your own business. 
If somebody's doing something sinful, hurtful, abusive, I'm going to be jumping in with both feet with you, 100%. And in cases where we have to, we'll call the cops if we have to, if there's abuse taking place. You know, like somebody's tone of voice, mind your own business. That comes with maturity. Hey, this person's in sin. I need to confront them in love and get them back into a right relationship with God. Hey, this person said something or did something that was detrimental to me or to our church family. I want to help out with that. That's 100% okay. But sometimes you just need to swallow your pride, give it to the Lord, and move on. And maturity in the Christian life will help you determine when that's the case. Next, we're commanded to love and serve one another. These are not options. Love and service to each other are not options. They're commandments. We've got to do it. And if we're not living in love and service to, to one another, we're living in selfishness and pride, please understand that's a sin, that's disobedience, and God's not honored by that. Next, if you have a problem with another Christian, fix it. Not like one of these days like today. <laughs> Disunity in our church destroys everything. Sin in churches destroys everything. We had a patch uh, back in, uh, I want to say it's 2019, where we had gone probably about 90 to 120 days where nobody had been saved at our church in a, a stretch of almost four months. And again, I don't panic because everything's in the Lord's hands, but I, I asked, wanted to ask our church the question, are we being faithful with the gospel? Are we, are we still sowing seed? And this is just a seed sowing time. Uh, is there sin in our church that's keeping us from being able to see a harvest? Is there division in our church where people aren't getting along and where it's causing God to remove his hand of blessing upon us? Or are we just in that kind of season? ask people to see, search the depths of their hearts. And, and by the grace of God, we begin to see people get saved a few months later and, and things like that. But it was a rough, rough patch that we hit for a minute. And again, I think it's important that we as a church are concerned about souls and the eternal destiny of mankind. It's really important. And then kind of find out later, I found out like nine months later, there's a guy in our church who was having an extramarital affair that father get out of wedlock with somebody else while he was married. What? I found out that there was another person in our church who was having a, a sexual relationship with somebody outside of marriage and another guy was uh, struggling with pornography, wasn't willing to admit it. It's like, wait, what? And like nine months later, I find like a half dozen things of deep-rooted sinful things in our church that were taking place that were destroying our church that people are just like, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not affecting anybody. Nobody knows. God knows everything. And, and God help us if we ever think that we're outside the boundaries of God's chastisement or that God's not willing to cause other people difficulty because of our own sinfulness. And so if you've got problems with another Christian, you need to fix it like today, seriously. And if I need to help, I'm willing to. And, and I know that, that I've got a lot of bite, but, I, but if you ask me to sit down with you and another Christian, I would do it in love and compassion and care for you. I just got a zero tolerance policy for gossip, zero policy tolerance for drama in the church because it dishonors the Lord. But if I need to sit down and help you process through that with another Christian, please let me know. My calendar's open, seriously. But we got no room for it in the church. Final thought, pride and selfishness destroys the church, period. Again, every church that has been destroyed has been destroyed by pride and selfishness, every single one. Have there been church or denominational splits that were split for a good reason? Sure. I think it was last year that the, uh, the Methodist church split off into two groups. Basically, it was, I forget what they called the universe, uh, the uh, United Methodist Church, and then something else was the other split off. And the other split off was the one who didn't want to affirm gay marriage and gay clergy and things like that. It was split for, for doctrine for a good reason. But again, if you look at Methodist, Methodists haven't always been bastions of solid biblical doctrine. And so um, 
there's that, but most churches that get destroyed, selfishness, pride, destroys the church. And so, again, you might say, well, pastor, I hope you never get caught up on that. Hey, look, I'm one person out of many in this body. Every person's responsible. Every person's on the hook for making sure that we're right with God. We're walking in holiness and righteousness and confessing our sin before God and seeking his face day by day and walking with him that everything's right between us and our fellow brother. And if I got a problem with somebody, I'm going to fix it right away. And we can all go forward together. Who we call is not perfect and never will be. I love every single person here. I don't know of any, a single solitary problem of anybody in our church. And like any family, it's got its quirks, it's got its idiosyncrasies. Our church family's probably got that weird uncle that always makes people feel awkward, probably, I don't know. I might be the weird uncle, I don't know. <laughs> but here's the thing, at the end of the day, we're family. We're not just family, we're the family of God. We're a body, we're not just a body, we're the body of Christ. And so we gotta make sure that we're all striving together, forward. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, all of this is just, add-on fluff to the most important thing in the world, which is you being saved. If you're not sure that you're saved, be saved today. Be a part of the family of God. Begin to, to experience everything we talked about today about a unity and a family and a connectedness together. It's the most important thing in the world. But for those of us that are Christians, man, let's continue to strive for unity because it's that important to God. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.